Dotnet Rocks episode 668 with guests Ertz von Arik, Miguel Castro, Stephen Rose, and Todd Anglin. Recorded live Wednesday, May 18th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Hey, this is Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. Hi there. Hey, we're at TechEd 2011. Yeah, the show's just about over, and it's been really frantically busy for us. We just finished the heat of Speaker Idol, and it was Sven Alderman, Alterman, who won. That's right, and our runner-up was uh, Brian Desmond, so for whatever reason Sven can't speak at TechEd, then uh, Brian will get it. But you know what? All those finalists were awesome. I bet you those videos go out, the track chairs will grab them up. That's what I'm thinking, too. I told him as much. Hey, we're here with Hirt van Harek. Hi, Hirt. Hi, thank you. So uh, apparently you've written a framework for ASP.NET uh, MVVM? It's an MVVM framework for Silverlight, WPF, and Windows Phone 7. So tell us about it. Um, well, it's a pretty young framework. Uh, we just released the first version in December of uh, 2010. Um, but it's, it's different than the others. It's not, uh, we don't particularly want to say it's better or the other frameworks are bad. But well, what's the approach that's different? Uh, we want a more uh, approach uh, where you uh, focus on the data that you want to show on the view instead of just the view model itself. So what we thought of was, what if you have a very complex data tree and how are you going to solve the nested user control problem, such as the, if you have a, a very long uh, user interface with uh, lots of uh, trees uh, where you go deep into the data. So you have, uh, for example, a company which has... Uh, employees which have uh, uh, maybe a job or a manager, mm-hmm. then you don't want to uh, provide the view model in the other view models because then you're uh, going to nest the two together. So what we did was uh, we created a solution for this uh, so you can solve the nested user control problem. So yeah. this is really good then if you have a lot of hierarchical data that yeah, you exactly. want to see. If you want to, if you want to show a lot of uh, hierarchy data, then you definitely want to use Catel because... And, oh, Sorry, did we actually name the framework? What's it called? No, the framework is no, uh, named Catel. It's C-E-A-T-E-L. Catel? And it's on uh, Codeplex. So, Catel.Codeplex.com? Yeah, exactly. Yep. All right, so obviously freely downloadable. Uh, how many contributors have you got to the project? Uh, we have two very active contributors. Okay. So, and two uh, less active. But So, if you're, if the hierarchical data is the real, the real thing, you know, here, does that lend itself to a, a, a tree user interface or... Or does it matter what your user interface really is? Does it lend itself better to any particular it, type of UI pattern? It doesn't matter at all what you use it for. The great thing about Catal is that you can use it in any way. If you, if you develop a, a user control, you, could, you can deliver a view model with it. Yeah. And so you don't have to write a view model for every situation where that specific user control is used. It, is, it automatically adjusts the model into a view model. All right. I'm, there's a lot of MVVM frameworks out there, my yep. friend. So what inspired you to write another one? That's an excellent question. Um, when we were checking out all the older MVVM frameworks, we were missing a lot of stuff, such as this nested user control problem. Yeah. No one could actually tell us the solution for this problem. Another uh, thing is lots of frameworks use either a naming convention like Caliburn or uh, a lot of plumbing that you have to write a lot of code yourself. 
and we thought, well, if, if we have to extend those frameworks to meet our requirements, we can just as easily write one ourselves. And, and you said this was available for Silverlight, WPF, Windows Phone 7, yeah, ASP.NET? Exactly. And no, no ASP.NET. Not ASP.NET. No. Oh, I'm sorry. So I made, I made that mistake when I inter- introduced it. Okay. Okay. And, uh, and so, uh, again, getting back to the, to the whole nested hierarchy, nested controls thing. This uh, give us an example of you know a typical project that somebody is writing where this makes more sense to use uh, Catel than it does the other frameworks. Mm. In a previous project, we were in a hospital and we uh, needed to show the shay of the of the patient, and every patient ha- has a different uh, way of uh, being treated. Yeah. So we have to decide on runtime in a in a big uh, tree view because that's what the end users wanted. Uh, we have to decide what to show and what data is injected into each user control. Yes. So in, in that case, you can't create one view model per uh, treatment because the treatments are so complex yeah. and so uh, different from each other that you can't uh, provide It's not all something you can do ahead of time. No, exactly. So you're almost like a view model per treatment then. Yeah. Is that, is that what you ended up doing or was you, were you able to come no, up no, with it? No, we, no, we created user controls. That was a challenge then. Yeah, we created uh, user controls. And so if you had, a, for example, a CT scan, mm-hmm. then we had a CT scan uh, control and you could inject the CT scan object or model and then it would automatically uh, convert it into a view model. So you don't have to care about it. Oh, okay. So in, in that specific view model for that user control, you were using uh, the actual CT scan from the, the higher level uh, mm-hmm. uh, treatment, but it has its own uh, view model. So you don't have to worry about it in the higher level uh, view model. All right. I mean, it's cool, and, and ultimately you end up with a lot of coupling when you embed these things in each other. Yeah, you can you can easily reuse user controls and mm-hmm. easily uh, provide those user controls with MVVM, which other frameworks don't provide. You have to write a view model for every situation that you encounter. So it sounds like you end up with a real kind of composite application where you're just essentially plugging these user controls and nesting them. Yeah. together. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you have all the freedom you want. For example, if you want the old approach and just write one view model per window with three tops in it, it's 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 perfectly uh, cap- uh, possible with uh, Catel as well. What's the, uh, for somebody who's familiar with, I don't know, Caliburn or any of the, these other MVVM frameworks, what what's the ramp up time, you think, to get started with Catel? Well, Catel isn't convention based, so if you are familiar with uh, Caliburn, you have to do the bindings yourself. We uh, chose not to use the convention because we wanted more freedom. Such as if, if you have a convention for your commands, then if you really think about it, you have to, you have to make your uh, methods, like the can execute and execute, uh, public. Mm-hmm. But then you have to do the plumbing of every uh, execute. You have to check whether the method can actually be executed. And if you uh, wrap this up in a command then the command handles this for you. So that's why we chose not to uh, use the convention-based approach. But uh, Do you find you're, coming, you're having more code as a consequence? Um, no, not particularly more code, because uh, you, you need one line of code to define the command. Right. And otherwise, I would, I would need at least two lines of code to check whether I can execute the method. Right. So actually, you save some you're, code. You're actually but, ahead by going down. Yeah, way. but some people... If you would document your uh, commands, then you say, well, it's extra, it's extra code, but mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of extra code. And I'm looking at uh, a page on the code project, Catel, 
uh, part zero of N. That's yeah. funny. Why choose Cattell? And there's a, it's sort of like an article fact here with a table of contents. It's quite, uh, we'll provide a link to that uh, on the show page. That would um, be great. Uh, any of this stuff that we, in the, these last few minutes that we haven't talked about that are on this list that yeah um, what we always uh, what we also saw is that if you create a view model the first thing you do is map all the properties of your model into the view model yeah you reuse the validation code you have to write it again mm -hmm. and then at the end when you save or cancel the view model you have to write the properties back we thought this can be uh, done much easier so what you can do with Catel is provide an object uh, as a model attribute And then just map those properties automatically. Just, so if I inject a person, mm -hmm. then I can it automatically uh, it takes out the values of the first name, middle name, last name mm -hmm. from the model at injection time. And then when you save it, it will automatically save it back. And the good part is that it uh, in between during the view model uh, lifecycle, it also checks whether the model itself returns validation errors on those fields. So you don't have to write validation twice. Oh, that's pretty nice. Yeah. Okay, very clever. How does this work in the phone? In the phone, we have uh, isolated storage. And if you want to use RIA services or something like that, right. then, you're stuck with, uh, then you're stuck with writing the validation because you don't want to make round trips to the right. server. But uh, for a WPF, it's uh, definitely useful. Yeah, I was just thinking the phone's more constrained, so that's yeah. going to be a challenge for that. But I like not having to write validation twice, and I always seem to end up doing it. Yeah, when you're having round trips, you you have no other options. Right. The best thing you can do is add links to shared classes and right. then share the validation that way. Uh, any particular challenges with unit testing? Uh, no, we use uh, IOC uh, uh, containers okay. at Unity, so you can... Uh, uh, Decide in your configuration or at runtime, whatever you like. Great. You can decide which services are used. So, for example, um, later this year in uh, the Mango release for Windows Phone 7, there will be an update where you can um, simulate uh, the GPS location. Okay. And we also written we already written a service that can already do this for you. So, if you check out my blog, you can see a demo where I walk through my street without without even having a Windows Phone 7. So you can already emulate GPS coordinates and with time uh, oh. frames between. You, we talked about this a little bit, but I want to dig into it further because I think that some of the features around data handling that Kittel does are quite unique. Could you yep. start at the beginning on that? What are you doing different about data? Well, what we do different about data is we focus on data. We want What you see a lot is that people define their, the, the, the view model itself into the data context in the XAML. Yes. But it's not the view that decides what view model is being used. It's it's a view model that actually decides what happens. So we decided, we always use the view model first approach. Of course, if you want to, you can use the view first approach, but yeah. personally, I don't rec re recommend that. And you had some automation around, I mean, every app typically built these days is reading and writing data in some form. So... You're actually automating the part of retrieval of data and of marking what should be saved, what shouldn't be saved. Uh, part and parcel of the model. Mm, Or does it matter what we use for? No, data? if you if you use an entity framework uh, uh, model, then you can inject it in the view model, and then it automatically takes out the properties. And yeah, uh, but so you, you, you still need your da uh, data access layer. Okay, so that's not going away. No, 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 of course not. Right. Uh, MVVM is just about the user interface, right. so we're not going to take over and that you're part. Staying, but you're staying away from conventions. So 
there should be a certain amount of code to connect up uh, the data to the uh, views properly. Uh, yeah, we have code snippets for that, so you can easily uh, use uh, attributes to decorate your views, uh, your properties. And once you uh, get a grip on the code snippets, you can write a few, a few models just in minutes. It's, sure. It's no problem at all. And where do we get it? Uh, at the Cattell framework. Yeah. At Cattell.codeplex.com. C-A-T-E-L? Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much, Heert. Thank you, too. All right. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik Just Decompile. Recent developments in the .NET world have opened up a niche for a free .NET decompiling tool. If you, like so many other developers, have been looking for an alternative .NET decompiler, you'll most certainly welcome the launch of Just Decompile, a powerful tool which promises to stay free forever. Currently in beta, Just Decompile offers effortless .NET decompiling and assembly browsing, innovative code analysis and navigation, side-by-side assembly loading, auto-updating, and better decompiling accuracy. A product by leading .NET vendor Telerik, Just Decompile has an aggressive release schedule and a roadmap based on community feedback. You can visit the Just Decompile feature suggestion forum to let Telerik know what features you'd like to see added to Just Decompile or vote for ones suggested by your peers. The official version launch is expected this summer, 2011. Go to Telerik.com slash .NET decompiling. And remember to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Hey, it's Carl and Richard. We're back with Miguel Castro. Hey, Miguel. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. So what have you been doing at TechEd? Uh, you know, wandering around, checking out the booth babes, you know, the usual, the usual tech ed, tech ed rolling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, this place is like, uh, it's chick heaven here. You know how it oh, is. Oh yeah. Right? There's T- tons typical of typical geek conference, right? Yeah, right, right. right. You, how many sessions do you got? I have one. That's what do you all mean, I got. Is this it? is my, this is my fifth year doing tech ed. No, good. Uh, and this time they gave me, um, the last day, the last session, 4.30 p.m., on Thursday. Uh, on Thursday. Kind of, uh, you know, the, the slot doesn't really bother me. What bothers me, it's kind of like, have you ever planned a vacation around a conference? Like, you take your family, you do the conference, and then you stay there in extra days with your family, and maybe right. Disney World or something? Yeah, absolutely. It was one year, like six years ago, where I did a Disney World vacation three days before I spoke at a VS Live. You, you can't do you that. You can't do that. No. Well, I, it was one of my first VS Lives. I learned that the hard way. That's kind of the way this feels. I've yeah. Nothing you, but, you have to think about your... You, exactly. You can't relax until your session is over, and your session's out right. over until the show is over. And, and you cannot go to any of the parties. That's right. like a moral imperative, right? Yes. So I've been partying my so, ass off since I've been here, and now I finally got to get work done Right. at the end of today. Yeah, so what so, are you talking about? I'm talking about uh, my latest thing, which is MVVM slash WPF. I've been a lot I've been into that lately quite a bit. So does anything annoy you these days? <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know what? In the topic of MVVM, something does annoy me, okay? All I'll right. set the record straight. Despite what you may read out in the blogs, the goal of MVVM is not to eliminate the code behind. That's really? not the goal. That is a, a, to, a that is a beneficial a byproduct. It's to decouple and separate yeah. the concerns and, and assume test and uh, uh, and be testable. Right. It is not to eliminate the code behind that. I got to well, be eliminating there. code behind is one way to decouple, but the well, goal is but to eliminate decouple. code behind should not be your goal. It should be the the automatic byproduct of this. And not all the time does it happen one hundred percent. A lot of times it happens ninety nine percent. 
Right. But if you if you make the goal just if all you want to do with MVVM is to get rid of the code behind, I can do that with copy and paste. You know, <laughs> true. So that that that's been my latest pet peeve because it seems I, I've been approached by a lot of people on my blog and on email because I talk a lot about MVVM and WPF and Silverlight and uh, right. you know questions about how do I do this, how do I do that, and I direct them to certain blogs of people in the industry, and I've been reading some of these blogs, and that whole concept of the goal of MVVM is to eliminate your code behind seems to be one of the philosophies out there, and it's just flat out wrong. That should not be your goal. You're going to get stuck in some kind of analysis paralysis if, if you make that the goal of writing your application. You're approaching it the wrong way. And and so and to your point, because there are exceptions. Oh, there are tons of exceptions. I mean, as a matter of fact, unless you use, unless you take it to the level of using something like a dependency injection framework to do your your service location, your view model hooking, right? Uh, unless you take it to that extreme, your code behind is going to be your number one place to do navigation. Well, you know, when you did that show, which we got a lot of email about, the top ten things that annoy Miguel Castro. Oh, I, I think you remember that. Yeah, I think your underlying theme was. Rules are good, but there are always exceptions always. to every rule, Absolutely. and there is no such thing as absolutism. If you Only try- a Sith speaks in absolute. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And we do not want to go to the dark side. If you approach everything with an absolute, uh, with a, with a, with a zealotry for absolutism, you're going to get stuck. Uh, w- you know, putting a round peg into a square hole at one point. And, and you got to deliver the product at some time. You know, that is true in so many areas of in life, almost every area. Not just not just development, Absolutely. but life. You know, I got to say something about that show. I got I got my share of flames, no doubt yeah. about it. We were I think we were all expecting that. Yeah. All right. Number 1, I live under the philosophy no publicity is bad publicity. <laughs> <laughs> Number 2, the amount of good emails that I got far exceeded the amount yeah, of Yeah, there was flames. a lot of hey, thanks for calling it out. I feel the same way. I got everything from that was that was excellent to you finally said what I've been thinking for 5 years. <laughs> and and the most productive emails were the ones where people actually agreed with some points and not with others yeah. and they actually Took, several people took the time to list out my gripes yeah. and address them point by point. So they took time to, to actually respond in detail, and that was really appreciated. What's well, the difference between you know making an argument and having concerns and gripes, yeah. and then just you know pooping all over everybody? Absolutely, which you don't want to do. No pooping. <laughs> uh, back on MVVM. Any yeah. favorite frameworks? You know, Caliber and I'm, fan I'm, or a light fan? I'm mostly fan. a Prism fan. Prism um, fan. And okay. Prism, Prism is not really an MVVM framework. Yeah. Prism is a composite application framework right. that provides a couple of base points to start to do MVVM. Like they have a little base class that you can inherit from to do property notification, things like that. All mm-hmm. stuff that I'm going to talk about later on today. Um, I, I wrote a framework that actually extends Prism. So I have a framework that gears more to specific MVVM stuff, and it starts with Prism because Prism okay. has not only not only some of the base stuff that I want, but it also has tremendous commanding and event capability mm-hmm. for decoupled events and weekly typed events. And it's a fantastic, well, it's a great framework all around. Yeah. So I add, with my framework, I add all the specific MVVM stuff to Prism, including validation rules and things like that. Are you doing any cool demos? Uh, I am. Well, the talk I'm doing today is is kind of a, an intro. It's implementing the MVVM pattern. It's basically okay. getting people on board with this pattern and making the argument for why you want to use it. Because as much as I'm not... An absolutes guy, I do believe that if you're going to write anything short of a five-minute throwaway WPF or civil ad application, you got to invest the time in the MVVM because the benefits are going to are going to be tremendous at the long run. But you start with Prism when you do that. No, on this talk, I'm not. I'm not getting into really, any frameworks. Yeah, no this frameworks is completely at all. Completely raw. Completely you're you're going to do it by hand, and Absolutely. I think that's an interesting point about MVVM as well. Is it is a pattern. You don't have to use a framework. Not only is it a pattern, it's an extremely loose pattern. There's mm-hmm. 
tons of, of it, 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 a lot of it is open to just a lot of interpretation. Sure. And, you know, programming is a very personal art, right? Everybody's got their signatures. So right. everybody's going to have just slight variations on not only naming or conventions, but how to approach certain things in MBVM, how to inject the model into the view model, how to do navigation, how to do it. And you know what? They're all right. There's not necessarily a real wrong way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's certain rules, and I'm going to have a whole slide on no matter what your interpretation is, these are the rules that you want to, that, that are the common denominators. Right. You want that separation of concerns. You want to have 100% testability because you can't test code behind. So there's three or four bullet points that I'm going to go through. And as long as those three or four are met, the rest is completely up to interpretation and up to style. So you already called out a couple of them with testability and separation of concerns. What are the other ones? Uh, so you got testability, separation of concerns, and a source for binding. Okay. Your view model is the source for binding. I mean, this is, you know, you don't have a, a binding source at this point in the XAML and another binding source later on in the XAML. You have a view model that binds to the root of the XAML and everything goes from there. It's kind of, um, uh, I coined the term state driven. You know, we have in our ever ending quest to put as many words in front of the word driven development as we can, right? Uh, so now state driven development. Uh, it, it's the, the, the view model exposes the state that's going to drive that view. You know what I think one of the more confusing things about uh, learning these models and these patterns is there's always many layers and many pieces. Sure. And when you're demoing them, you typically switch back and forth. And you know, and I, as I know, all code looks the same. And when you're switching back and forth between your view model and your view and your model and your UI, you know, it's like you, it, it's easy to get lost. Oh, no doubt so about it. So what do you do in your talk to help keep the big picture in focus? Do you do anything in particular to, to help combat that problem? You know, the, 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 the approach to keeping track of your code and what's in where, it's different for everybody, right? Yeah. I mean, what separates a model from a view model, you mean? Something like that? No, I mean, yeah. I mean, the things that I think about would be really cool is if we could have, like, in a presentation anyway, like a different background color for the page when you're dealing with the view model, for example. Just because when you're jumping around from, from class to class, trying to keep track of where that is you know from a purely pedagogical point of view like you know as a teacher as a trainer it's very easy for i think a beginner student to get lost in okay where does this code i'm looking at now fit in the model in the big picture well i think the most important thing to be able to keep track of stuff like that is to standardize on something standardize on techniques i don't recommend against mixing mixing and matching You, you use like some people actually are from the school of thought of use a view model Use a view model where you need one. Not all yeah. views need one. Right. I'm, I don't agree with that. Yeah. I really don't. There's a lot of smart people that actually do think that, um, and I've argued with them on it. To me, if you're going to approach an application using MBVM, you should you should embrace it completely, and that's going to contribute a lot to knowing where everything is. If you if you if you embrace the concept of having a view model for every single view. Yeah. From that point, that view model may wrap one or more models because you may have one or more business sources, yeah. right? And that's the whole point. The view model is like a single binding source that wraps one or more business sources. Once you have that kind of standardization in your application, yeah. and finding out where you are or where your code is is going to be a lot. It's going to be easier to trace because you know where you're going to start. And you know you're going to know where your next step is under that, yeah, and yeah. then you can know where your next steps are under that. If you start mixing and matching, that there there you get into the complexity that you described, where you have no idea what is what and how to trace something, especially when problems. Well, occur, I've I've found that when watching demos and watching presentations about you know things where there are multiple layers, it's like MVVM. Yeah. You know when a presenter goes back and forth between the view and the view model and the model. And the data layer and the UI, you know, it's like switching back and forth. Sometimes all that, all those 
classes start to look the same. So, you know, just from a purely teaching point of view, that is a well, you got naming, con- naming conventions too. Yeah, you have to. You have to. Yeah, yeah. You have all to all my view models attention. actually end with the word view model, and that's yeah. actually a very industry that's accepted. Good. It's a very industry accepted convention. It's very good. So yeah, you just don't name a class automobile, right. And expect it to be a U model. That right. may be a business object, but it's definitely or not have a, a long U model. acronym that stands for something you got to remember while you're looking at it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, uh, thanks for talking to us and catching up with us. Oh, Miguel. my pleasure, as always. And where are we going to see you next? Where am I going? Uh, well, I got. I'm going to be in DC next week at, are you going uh, to NDC? at an act thing. Uh, I'm going to NDC, so we'll see each other. I think you'll both be at Nor- NDC. This yep, be, definitely Norway. It'll be my Oslo. first time. My first time in Oslo. Yeah, it's a great show. I've never. Well, I've never been to the Scandinavian Peninsula, so this will be my first time there. Yeah, you'll blend right in. And um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and well, I got the height. That's for sure. Yeah, that's right. All right, Miguel. So thanks. I'm really again. looking forward to it. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, guys. Hey, Carl and Richard, back with you at Tech Ed 2011. We're talking to Stephen Rose. Hi, Stephen. Hey, guys. How you doing? We're good, man. Uh, heck of a party last night. The Thank you very party. much. And uh, you were well decorated, as I recall. I uh, always have a good time. We always try to make the springboard party the highlight for all the IT pros to come out. We don't let Microsoft folks in. It's really for community, so it's always a great time. Now, tell us what springboard is. Springboard is the resource for Windows desktop IT pros. And uh, as we've talked about on your show, we've expanded uh, the springboard beyond just Windows and MDOP and desktop virtualization. We now have a springboard for uh, IE. We have a springboard for Office as well. So if you're managing Office, Internet Explorer, Windows, come visit us, Microsoft.com. So it seems like if you're a developer who's an armchair IT guy, you probably might also like Springboard. Well, you know, when we've done some of the code camps and things like that, we've talked about the importance of developers understanding some of the real key basics of IT. You know, the OSI model puts, you know, gives how code runs. And it's really important as you're developing applications for enterprises to be able to talk with the IT staff. Sure. Just have a feel for what the that side of the fence needs to deal with. Yep. I also find there's lots of you know, part-time IT folks. They, they're, they're the developer, but they're also the only one who has a clue about how to run into the gear, and, and they're setting stuff up themselves. Absolutely. And I think now with more and more cloud services, it's going to go the other way. IT pros really need to learn more about the cloud, cloud development, Azure, yeah. and what can be done as we start to look to remediate applications. So I think it's a really a two-way street now. What do you have for the Azure people at Springboard? Not much for Azure. We're really focused in for desktop IT pros around okay. two products, and that's going to be Windows Intune, which is our new desktop management product. It sort of takes over for the old System Center Online. Uh, what it allows is you can buy individual licenses, can be domain or non-domain joined. You can check on the health of the of the machine, what's on that machine, manage it, and then of course Office three six five is our other sort of entrance into the cloud for desktop pros. When it, and and these are the things that I think the small shops really really need. Absolutely, and, and they often don't have enough time to just look to be aware that they're even out there. That mm-hmm. Intune's just going to take a whole lot of problems off the table for you. You don't have to think about it. Absolutely, and I think you know one of the great things is is for a dollar more they can move to the enterprise. And then they get MDOP. So now you're getting MedV app. You're getting all the virtualization tools. So it really gets a lot of value where people go and we can't get to Windows 7 from XP. Here's your desktop virtualization tools. Here's individual management, remote access, all the stuff that they're looking for. What's the sweet spot in terms of number of machines that you have to deal with for uh, that makes Intune? It, really? It's an enterprise ready solution. You can go up to two, you can go up to twenty thousand I mean, like seats. Low. I mean, how many before? You can I have five. Really? You can have five machines. It's going can... to help you with five machines. Absolutely. What's the price tag? Uh, it's eleven dollars per seat. 
per month. Right. And then for 12, you can go to Enterprise SKU and MDOP. So for $12. $12 a month per seat. That's it. Mm-hmm. And you get, so you can go from XP to, to Windows 7. You've got your antivirus built mm-hmm. into that. You've got your remote assistance tool. Some of those are two to three grand a year right there. Sure. Uh, to do that, you have your inventory tool all now built into one great desktop piece. Why shouldn't I be running this at home? At, uh, you at $11 could. a seat. You certainly could if you want to. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't want to sort of pay that price for doing it. Um, you really want to have the pro skew, but you well, can do it with Let me home. rephrase that. Why isn't my mother running this at home? I don't know. I, this we, is a we've been talking, of my life. We, we've been talking about doing this as a consumer product to make life yeah. easier for folks. I, I, I like to give away the remote assistance cards, you know, where you can call Microsoft for a free one. I tell people they make great Mother's Day and Father's Day gifts. <laughs> well, what I'm thinking, Richard, is I'd like to run it, and I'd like my mother to install a copy. I'd like my, onc- my aunt, my uncle, and yeah. all the other people in my family who know nothing about computers that waste my Sundays every month. Yeah. You and you, they just have to install the, uh, the, you know, the local client, and then that's it. Malware, spyware, did they get all their patches and updates? It's going to do it all for you. So that's actually a good idea. Absolutely. It's not a bad idea at yeah, all. Interesting thought, as well as the small business model and, and, and so forth, which is really yeah. what it's in theory aimed at. Yeah. It won, uh, I guess, two of the award, two of the product awards here at TechEd this yes. year. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. I did the announcements for them. Oh, well, there you go. So you know better than <laughs> yeah, I do. I just do. heard about it like five yes, minutes ago. Yes, you won ago. some awards. I don't know if you know this, but you won I did not know that, but it's good to know. <laughs> so the cynical guy in me says, okay, isn't Windows supposed to do all these auto updates and it, all it these does. things itself? It certainly Why does. Do but, you know, when you get into an enterprise, you know, when you get a salesperson that's at home, those windows pop up. Look, you got to do your update. You got to yeah. do this. They don't hit them. Okay. We know that they don't. When it comes up saying, hey, you've got malware, click this button. Ah, forget it, I'll do it later. All and right. that's what you run into. And when they need assistance, now you're looking at an expensive third So party. really what it is, it's an overseer that allows you in one central place to make sure that all these machines are up have to date their and running properly and the network and is everything. healthy. Absolutely. Oh, that's great, Stephen. So. Yeah. So what else have you been doing to, uh, here at TechEd? Um, had some really great sessions on Windows deployment. I think, um, you know, my... My aha moment, I think, for this show is really seeing that IT pros have gone from lookers to buyers. Uh, wow. A lot of IT pros said, look, I've got money. Uh, we're starting to move forward with deployment. We're now below, a, we're right about a 1,000 days till the end of XP. So we're getting into that. It's now my three-year cycle. And people are saying, look, my boss is now tasking me with this. Last year, I came to learn this year. I'm doing, and I'm really evaluating. I had several people say they went back to their hotel and were playing with MDT for the last two nights nice. and coming back with questions. So. 600 people showing up at an MDT session. I had 150 last year, and they went nuts over it. Really shows that we, I think we started to turn the corner. What's oh, an MDT session? MDT, Microsoft MDT. Deployment Toolkit, which is sort of the backbone which you build your images both for Windows Deployment Server and for SCCM. Yeah, and, and my short recap on it is makes Ghost and Acronis look silly. Yes, and it's free. And it's free. It's free. And, and uh, MDT. Yeah, yeah. We, we did a demo. We do one where we take a Lenovo T60 and we get it from XP to 7 and include Office and migrate 40 gigs of data. We do it in about 40 minutes. And we took a brand new Lenovo, get, downloaded the drivers, put in our USB key, and we moved it from the base image to the custom image, including Office 2010 in 18 minutes. Oh, my God. Yeah, and with free tools. Well, and it, the that thing, was what the audience said. That was yeah, great. You actually do it in 75 minutes. They you know, do that kind of demo. Yeah. It's just this whole idea of being able to separate 
the driver model, from the OS model, yep. from the app model, Absolutely. so that you can manage those uh, manage those images much more reliably. You don't have to have identical equipment everywhere, right? And it's not even you're right. It's not even about the images. You're managing applications. You're managing drivers. You're managing that, and you're just building packages. Man, and just I learned something today. Thank well, you. Good. That is an amazing tool. I've been doing it the hard way. No, you shouldn't. Yeah. I'll, I'll teach you how to build a USB key. You put it in, you'll be a happy boy. We've done MDT on. Run as a few uh, several times. times, yeah, and I don't think you can talk about it enough. No, people just don't realize how powerful, and it's not just MDT. Yeah. There is a raft of stunningly MDT good. Act Map. Um, yeah. We did we did a session called Twenty Free Windows Tools. You didn't probably didn't know about, and we really covered those, and people went nuts over it. It was a it was it's, an amazing yeah, it's session. Unbelievable! Like Map is astonishing. Just yeah. turning it on, and it lets you know what's in your network. Mm-hmm. Now, if it goes, is yeah. did you know you have this, and yeah. this is running here? Security and Compliance there. Manager, the SCM. Uh, the application compatibility toolkit, just, just all great me. free tools. You know, now I realize I should be listening to Run As Radio a lot more <laughs> than I do. <laughs> Stephen and I you heard it here first from Carl. every few months. Yeah, And absolutely. there's always a, a few good tools. Hey, I'm going to jump back to something you said early yeah. on. You've got IE9 as a springboard. Yeah, we have uh, we, we have Internet Explorer for Springboard where we have IE8 and IE9 content. Okay. Uh, we've just added some new pieces. For example, like if you're deploying IE9, how do you have pin sites as part of your default image? So we've really? added that. We've done a whole thing on how to secure and lock down. 1,400 security policies in Internet Explorer. It's one of the key things we say to IT pros is they go, well, why shouldn't I use Firefox? Because you cannot standardize it and secure it with all these security policies sure. and keep 12 toolbars from running and all that crap. Yeah. So uh, we're building some really great guidance on that site. Okay, so that's really the info about how to get to IE9. It's the whole thing about Springboard. Everything you need to know. Everything you need to know. All the all the free tools, all the free resources, and you know, no crap. And where do we go online to get all this stuff? Microsoft.com forward slash Springboard. Awesome. We've kept it simple. Steven, thank you so much. Good to see you guys. How was the show for you guys? Good. Oh, we had a great time. We always have a great time at Yeah. And you guys were back doing Speaker Idol again, so we missed you. So that's Speaker great to Idol see you guys again. Speaker Idol was awesome this year. We had uh, four finalists that were all so difficult to choose from. Uh, Sven Altman won, yeah, uh, and he was he was just great. Yeah, so nice. Good but, for you too, Richard. And we gave away a lot of swag. Yeah, we did the sixty-four bit question, which I know you've seen. It's very silly game show where we give away a lot of swag. That's and, always and everybody fun. has some laughs. But yeah, uh, we videotaped all of the Speaker Idol contestants. So cool. And where sh- can people see those? Uh, we haven't posted them yet. There needs to be some editing. We'll probably throw them up on YouTube. And we're going to make sure all the track chairs see them. Nice. Uh, because I think uh, every one of those finalists should be a Speaker Tech Ed next yeah. year. Well, you guys do a great job. It's great to see you guys back doing Speaker Idol because we missed you for a little bit uh, when we weren't doing it. And we had some other people phone in. But you know, nobody does it like you guys. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Steven. All thank right. you, Steven. Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. Hey, it's Carl and Richard. We're back at TechEd 2011 in Atlanta with Todd Anglin from Telerik. Hey, Todd, how you doing? Good. Good to see you guys. I see you guys survive the week here. You've been racing around too, my friend. I mean, you're in a speaker shirt right now. Have you been doing sessions? Yeah, I had a uh, session yesterday on HTML5, a real popular session. Everybody 
loves HTML5 and CSS3, so we had a great session on that. And I've been wearing a lot of hats this week. It's been a busy tech ed week. So how many people uh, threw stones at you saying, is HTML5 replacing Silverlight? You know, a few <laughs> of those those rocks need to come through. In fact, I had a, a birds of a feather session on Monday. It was Silverlight, HTML5, Flash, you know, the, the compa- com- so-called competing technologies. Right. And that was the real stone throwing. That was... Uh, a real interesting time. But you know, think, the world's ending on Saturday, so it really doesn't matter. You know, I, I heard that. Somebody told me that if I have any bills next week, just don't pay them. Don't wait. Don't get around. It's stuff, there's stuff you should put off. Right. Yeah. Just, just In fact, saying. I think Scott Hanselman told me just a few minutes ago, he stopped unit testing because he figures, <laughs> what's the point now? So we've reached awesome. that point. So feel free to swear, say whatever you want, because this yeah. is never getting on the air anyway. Uh what are the bits of HTML5 you're really enjoying? You know, I'm calling back to your session here. Sure. So the, the, I did my HTML5 session a little bit differently because a lot of people like to talk about the sexy bits of HTML5 the and CSS3, the things and, that, you know, make things look cool. But right. I framed my session. I think what's really important for a tech ed audience in particular is what can I actually use today? There's a lot of things that maybe are in the evolving stages that will be ready in a few years, but right. there's a big part of HTML5 you can use today and you can even use quite easily all the way back to browsers like IE6 without leaving people behind. So it's an usable technology, and that was really my message to convey, is there's a lot of this you can use today and start moving into the HTML5 era. Well, I think the big question is, you can use it today, but will I have to recode it in the future? Is it going to change? Sure. You know, the web has never been a stable platform. There's always change in the web. That's part of what's made it so exciting, is that yeah. we don't sit on something for a decade and it just stays the same. But right. I think there, the parts that you can use today are really those parts that are a little bit more solid. They're a little bit more firmed up now, so that when they're in browsers, they're not quite as experimental, and it's less likely they're going to change. So what are we talking about? Uh, you know, the video tag actually is one of those things. The tag itself is pretty stable, and the real challenge around video, I know you guys do a lot of video, is the codecs and the containers. You know, do I have to have multiple encodings? Yeah. Do I have to do other things? And here's a good story of where it's not an either-or choice. To do great video distribution, Telework does a lot of it, obviously. Yeah. We maintain one encoding of our videos. It's MP4, H.264. Yeah. And that's because we can hit all desktops with a plug-in. Silverlight's a great way to distribute right. that to desktops. But we can also, with one video, hit all mobile devices as well, because iOS and Android right now natively yeah. play back uh, H.264 MP4. So the idea that you can't use this stuff because it's not just a perfect story, mm. nothing is ever perfect in technology. So we just try to convey how do you do it today and be successful without ignoring a broad swath of users. It's close enough. It's close enough. Right. And when is technology anything other than that? Do you stack multiple players? So, you, I mean, you try the video tag, and if that doesn't work, you go to Silverlight, and if that doesn't work, Yeah, the flash. fallback, you know, so I like to introduce design concepts for HTML5, and really any software developer in the web should think about the ideas of progressive enhancement and graceful degradation. Right. And the graceful degradation is really a concept here. It's make sure to the user it's pretty transparent so that they don't have to worry about it. So if Silverlight or Flash aren't available, let's fall back on HTML5, and it'll just happen naturally. You don't have to do anything extra to do that. It just works. It's a great thing uh, for developers. Now, you just said you'd fall back to HTML5. Isn't HTML5 the starting point? Do you well, really try depends. for the video so tag first? So it can go both, both ways, right? Really? So it depends on uh, what is your premium experience. So for Telerik, we have a, a media player for Silverlight, and we're able to do some things there a little bit more richly, like chapter support and right. you know overlaying things in a little bit more dynamic way that maybe we could do with HTML5, but maybe take a little bit more effort. So we want to present that premium experience first to our desktop users, but still support mobile users by having HTML5 right there to I pop up. Okay, that makes sense. The other thing that I think not enough people are talking about is that CSS has really grown up now. Like the- sure, yeah. I mean, CSS, that's really the, the sexy part of it. I mean, that's the, the gingerbread on top, the mm-hmm. drop shadows, the, the rounded corners, and that really has come a long way. And there's 
there's parts of it that are shiny and flashy, and there are parts of it that are actually practical, like selectors and color models that don't get talked about a lot, but actually are pretty valuable to developers. So people who haven't looked at it in a while should definitely go back and look at it. IE9's done a lot in this latest release to kind of bring that story from Microsoft forward in a very performant way. And there's a lot going on there. How important do you think it is it for a developer these days to know CSS? Because, you know, so many business uh, web developers, just that's not their thing. They let the designers deal with that. Sure. You know, if, if you're a web developer, in my opinion, you need to know HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. I mean, How these are much CSS do you need to know? That comes down to how pretty do you want your application to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, you should understand enough at least about how CSS positions and lays out objects because just as in other frameworks, we tend to need to know how do we lay out our pages. Yeah. CSS is that model, that technology you want to use to achieve that in the web. And not knowing it or just, you know, pushing it off to the designer to know, it's kind of like ignoring one of the core technologies that powers the web. You should know the fundamentals even if you're not a designer. You should know what the metal's all about. Even if you don't have to do it, if you use great tools like Telerix tools to do it for you, at least you know what we're doing so you can better troubleshoot. And speaking of Telerik, you guys are prominently located here. We've right got our, our dance floor out and then our, our shining green lights uh, glowing here on the floor this week. Seems like you have more and more people at every show. Yeah, we had a good show this year. We were able to bring out some of our product team people from Bulgaria to interact with uh, our customers. That's always a good time to do it here at TechEd. Uh, we've got lots of new products to show off. You know, We've grown up from being just a UI component company yeah. to having testing tools and uh, having agile project tools, so there's a lot going on under and the We, Telecom of course, Rello. talk about your stuff, but only in dribs and drabs, you know, in the ads. But tell us what's really cool at Telerik lately. So one thing I'd love to, to just mention everybody here, because it, we released a brand new build this week of a new free tool we just introduced called Just Decompile. Yep. And this really draws in some of the things that we've been doing for a few years now with Just Code and puts it into a free standalone tool that we think really rethinks the idea of how do you do assembly browsing and decompiling and starts to move that story forward while doing it in a free way so everybody has access to it and they can get a taste of just code while having a great free tool for doing just uh, just decompiling. And that's uh, something we just published a new build of this week for TechEd. So Ed. this is sort of going head-to-head with Reflector, would you say? Well, Reflector kind of has been a great tool for a long time. We loved mm-hmm. it, but a bit of a gap was created when new versions of Reflector now are going to cost money. Right. Uh, and we know from the response we saw in the marketplace and from Microsoft as well, we talked with them that there was a need for a great free tool. And we had the technology and we were already actually working in this direction. Uh, we were just happy to be able to move it out there to the market as a free option for everyone. And it's just sort of an introduction to the just suite of right. tools. Right. It, it really complements what we're doing there. I mean, just decompile is a great free tool, but just code, just mock, just trace. These are all about how do you be productive when you write code, when you test code, when you optimize code. So it all makes sense under the umbrella of how do we make developers more productive. We're just here to save people time at the end of the sure. day. Now, besides the Telerik booth, you also were spending some time at, uh, over the TLC area? Yeah, at the Microsoft booth. So I was doing uh, several birds of a feather sessions this week, talking about Silverlight HTML5. You know, how do I keep up with all these technologies, mm-hmm. this, this fire hose of technologies that's coming at me, uh, the HTML5 session. So I hung out at the, uh, the Microsoft Web Platforms TLC as well to just talk to more developers. What kind of challenges, what kind of questions they have about working with Microsoft technology in the web space. Do you field a lot of questions? Yeah, there's a lot of good questions. A lot of interest in Web Matrix, one of Microsoft's new tools. Yeah. What, you know, where does that fit? How do I adopt that? You know, the same question that we've heard for a while now, MVC or web forms. You know, what is the, the real story there for developers and trying to really understand the pros and cons or the when to use of that those platforms. How are you feeling about that? Because it seems like MVC adoption is much broader than anybody expected. It's certainly picking up steam. I, mm-hmm. I'd say that at this point there are a lot more developers now that tools are available that can help them make that migration more quickly. It's starting to really gain steam now and be a very 
very on par alternative to web forms at that productivity level. It's obviously sure. a great platform because both are ASP.NET. There's a lot of similarities between the two. But now the marketplaces are also very similar, so they can make that choice more easily. I've yet to find a tool for managing CSS that I really love. You know, that, that is a real challenge. That's going to be something we should work on. Crack, isn't it? That is. I mean, CSS is tricky. Uh, obviously, as, as you talked about, it's often just considered a designer thing. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a space somebody should really do some more. And we'll have to check back to that TLC and yeah, somebody, chat with Microsoft. Some tool vendor might you know, want to think about I may know about. one or two uh, yeah. experts in that arena. I'll yeah, see what there's I can, a thought. What a great idea. How about that? So uh, where are we going to see you next? TechEd's all but over. TechEd's all but home? over. I'm going to go soak my feet uh, for an you hour. You have a baby. I do have a baby. Four months old. Well, thank friend. you guys very Absolutely. much. Absolutely. I'll go home and see her, and I'm sure she'll have changed. Uh, she's probably grown three inches, and uh, she's probably talking now You know, in, in one week. But I go from here to uh, to your neck, well, not your neck of the woods, but your country, uh, up to Montreal. You're going to DevTeach. I'll be at DevTeach. We'll be at DevTeach. Well, I'll see you guys again very soon. All right. We'll see you there, Todd. Thanks, Thanks for guys. talking to us. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 